0: Hi, hello, and welcome to Pop Media Podcast. I'm Kunal with Yashanaro. Aro. This is the monthly guest episode of the podcast. This month, we are joined by the wonderful Equa, and we are going to discuss the subtle and not so subtle philosophical themes and symbols in Equa's film, uh, Farewell Amour. Equa Masange is a Tanz- Tanzanian American filmmaker, producer, and screenwriter. She also teaches production and cultural studies at New York University. Um, hi, Equa, how are you? I'm great. How are you? Yeah, All right. fine. Um, So, you know, just uh, starting the podcast, I wanted to ask you that uh, your film tries to follow lives of these broken characters, right? Um, one thing that I wanted to ask is, what is your perception of the American dream?
1: That's a great question. Um, you know, I think the American dream is very different for different people. Hmm. Um, and it you know, there's the dream and there's the reality, right? There's Mm -hmm. what advertised as the experience and what the actual experience on the ground Mm -hmm. is. So if you're asking me what my experience has been, (laughs) um, that's very different than what the dream of my experience was supposed to be. Um, And, you know, also keeping in mind that I am an immigrant, in the sense that I grew up outside of, outside of the US. I, I grew up in East Africa, which is where my family's from, but I was the only child in my family born in the US. So I haven't had legally the, ex, the immigrant experience, um, which is a huge difference from what most people who come to the US um, as people of color and certainly as artists go through. Um, but it's, it's in short, I would say it is an experience of smoke and mirrors. (laughs) What what is advertised is not necessarily what happens.
0: Mm -hmm. And like, has that Mm -hmm. helped you make the film what it is? Your experience of, or your perception of American dream and your experience of American dream, uh, does that make farewell or more what we see on screen today?
1: Yes, it definitely has, um, made a, a huge contribution to my perspective of that story mm. given my own experiences coming back to the U.S. as a 17 year old and um, experiencing the cultural differences and the pressure to assimilate um, as my character Sylvia did um, and also just living in immigrant communities. Um, I've, As I've lived in New York for over 25 years, um, I've always lived in some sort of immigrant community, which is where I feel comfortable. And you know, you get to know people and friend people and hear their stories. And I mean, just taking a taxi anywhere in New York, you'll hear all the stories about yeah. <laughs> the family that's at home, the children who are at home. The uh. you know, I'm going home. I'm coming back. I'm you know, all the different iterations of how life works for people of color who are not um, originally from or don't have several generations from the US.
2: Hmm. So as you have seen in the film, Esther as a character uh, turns super religious after Walter uh, goes to America. So uh, does religion help uh, people escape the problems? And how does it affect the people around them? And is there any event in your life uh, could you experience of certain kind um
1: you know i mean i th- the answer to your question is does religion help people escape their problems i think it does or i think they think it does which is the most important thing uh, what are, i think is religious really matter, but... are you religious <laughs> yeah. i'm not religious no oh. um I am spiritual, but I I, I am not a really, I would not describe myself as a religious person, but I grew up in Mm -hmm. very religious environments. um, And so I've been exposed to, and have a lot of relatives um, who are very zealous about their particularly Christian practice. Um, I mean, I have relatives who are Muslim as well, but of my Christian relatives, you know, there's, there is, there's Christianity and then there's Christianity, <laughs> you know, not everybody really yeah. practices the same. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I think specifically for women, it falls a little bit differently for women who are married mm. um, because of how, how much people tend to answer every, the question to every problem with just pray about it jesus Mm, will help you yes if if it's not working then you're not praying hard Mm. enough or maybe you need to give money to the church or maybe you need to spend the night praying in church or maybe you Mm -hmm. need to give some sort of sacrifice and you know i mean the same kind of thing shows up in a lot of different religious practices so it's not really fair to say Mm. that it's just christianity that's just what i've seen and experienced um but i know that there's aspects of that in a lot of different other kinds of religious practices as well is you know the devotion and how devoted you are then equals having you know better luck in your relationships in your love life in your family and your children not you know becoming failures or whatever
3: <laughs> yeah and um after that i want to ask a like a sort of question for the people who are just like getting into filmmaking so that mm-hmm. question would be that what were some hiccups that you faced in the making of Favela which you didn't know that you would face, which you didn't calculate through or that you just didn't process and you just faced it when you faced it and you just went through it.
1: Well, I will say, you know, I don't know about not calculating because my producing partner and I I'd like to say, we're very careful about calculating yes. and making sure that, and, yeah. you know, and knowing how much we didn't know and Mm, therefore surrounding ourselves with people who had more experience in the aspects that we didn't have experience, so that they could help us. Mm. They could help walk us through. So there was a lot of newness um, in this was certainly the biggest project that either of us had done. Um, Big in terms of the budget that we were working with and the Kinds of investors that you know. It wasn't just one person, mm. the director or the producer, who like kind of cobbled together some money and some sandwiches and you know some duct tape and yeah. we making it happen. But we had actually formal investors with you know legal contracts and mm. a law team and this and th- you know it was, there was a lot of um, responsibility. Yes, mm. and therefore you know so that was new um in terms of managing the responsibilities Mm. you can't just be like you know what i don't like the story anymore Ah, i'm just gonna let it you know we'll just see what happens (laughs) yeah you're gonna have to finish it because somebody's expecting your money back yes um and then, you know, also because we have investors, that changes the way that you make the film. I'm used mm. to raising 500, $600, $1,000 and making a small little film with my friends. And then I make all the decisions and then I'm like, here's my film, I finished, enjoy it. Yeah. But in this case, you know, if somebody's giving you a half a million dollars, <laughs> a quarter million dollars for your film, then they have an opinion about all the different steps too, which mm. I didn't. I didn't know. I didn't know to expect that. So it was mm. a surprise when all of a sudden, you know, I was sort of like, okay, this is what I like, and this is what we're doing, and they're like, well, oh, we don't really like it, yeah. <laughs> or we yeah. have fun, so you know, they want to talk about it, and I just wasn't prepared. I didn't know that I needed to talk to anybody about it. And that also included the editing process Mm. where I'm used to just me and the editor decide what we think is best and I show it to a few friends and we call it a day. And this was where the investors also wanted to see it and then they wanted to give us Mm. notes. And it was notes that, I mean, at the end of the day, I was able to make the director's cut and make my decision as to what I wanted, but I did still have to at the very least listen and consider what they had to say. And we had test screenings, and so we had. then we had to consider what those people had to say. And, you know, so it just, it was a much bigger collaboration than I had experienced before with much bigger consequences, basically. I mean, in both good and bad ways, not just Mm. in terms of like, you know, people didn't get their money back, but also in terms of when things go well, you know, now we're talking about like, are we gonna apply for the Oscars? Are we gonna do you know, like
0: mm. we've never
1: done that before? So yeah. that's an exciting part of it, but also new. You
0: yeah. I Equa, mean. I really want to congratulate you for this film, right? Because right now, right now we are making a film. It's 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 very low budget, it's we are making on phone, you know, it's experimental Great. cinema. <laughs> well, so so fantastic. but but you know, people don't realize how hard it is to make films. Yeah. it yes I, right now i'm directing a film it's it's a very fun process but i you know constantly have to go back to footage to sound and all this stuff so i cannot mm-hmm. imagine what it might have been you know for you in that case when you're making a movie this big so yeah. mm-hmm. i really want to congratulate you because it's such a big and great thing to make a film on this level i cannot even imagine you know handling all this because right now what we are doing is very tough so (laughs) yeah exactly like uh,
3: a lot of times that we now that we watch movies we appreciate it like oh shit shit would be uh, very hard to edit or very hard to take as a footage (laughs) we we go on like that we ramble about like scenes so that's what you know changes when you start starting
0: like my personal perception towards films has changed after I you know started making my movie so like Hmm. has that happened with you Um,
1: My appreciation for what it, Uh, for the uh, process Mm of making. Yes. um, But I will say in this, I've, I've made a lot of low budget, no budget on my phone. Mm, Yeah. Experimental <laughs> film for a long time. I mean, yes. you know, the difference is that when I went to film school, we didn't have digital. So they, we didn't have phones to make yeah, them yeah. on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: Um, it, We had 16 millimeter, which cost a lot of money to purchase the thing and then process. The, anyways, yeah. I've made the small films with no money and my friends and cold pizza, and I've done that. So I understand that process. Mm. I've cooked, you know, I've been the craft person, the wardrobe person, the driver, the, you know, I've done all of those positions um, on my films as well. Mm. Um, And I think for me, what I've learned to appreciate is how amazing it is as a director, when you have really capable people who can do those things for you, Uh, how mm, much more mm, it it opens up your ability. I mean, it was learning. It wasn't just like automatically, I was like, yay, I can do it because I'm used to Uh thinking of all of these different things. And so it took a while for my producing partner to be like, it doesn't look like you're working on your shot board. It looks like you're working on my work. (laughs) So go (laughs) away and work on your work And I had to actually sort of train myself to be like, oh, yeah, I actually do have work. I do need to read the script again and figure out what I want to do and, you know, be more, maybe have more time with my DP to talk about not logistics and how much the light's going to cost, but knowing somebody else is worrying about how much it's going to cost. And we just get to talk about what we want it to look like and watch a bunch of films and, you know, he then can decide this is the package that we need, and then someone's going to be like, Great, we can afford it. Probably, mm. <laughs> and it's just like, Oh wow, I've never had yes. that before because yeah. it's literally yeah. been like, All right, let me get my pantyhose and put it on the lens, and you know, all of those kinds of things. So, I appreciate, um, how you know, because of course, for every indie filmmaker the fantasy is about, oh, man, when I have money, it's going to be so great. I'm going to huh. be able to pay myself. Exactly. True. And exactly. you kind of just think about yeah. paying yourself, yeah. which is wonderful and it's important.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. So
1: I'm not discrediting that. But it's more than that. It's more than just paying yourself. It's also the importance of looking after yourself, you know, the things that we get away with because... A, your shoot is one day, <laughs>
2: it's <laughs>
1: experimental, and you have a lot of adrenaline and your friends love you. Hopefully yes. they still love you at the end. <laughs> yeah. But What, it, you know, like the different, when with this film, for example, I'll give you a story with this film, Farewell or More. I mean, we had a bigger budget, but we didn't have a, a big budget. And so there were everything that we could cut we did, which included transportation for me. So I was taking public transportation to the set with my crew and I've always done that. So it was just like, oh, this, I mean, what's the big deal? But it's different if you're doing that for two or three days or even one week, it's a very different situation where if you're doing that for five weeks in the summer and, you know, there's all of this requirements and my investors are sitting at the monitor with me and asking questions and... People are watching the dailies every day and, you know, sending in their notes and, you know, like the kind of pressure, like I really need to be focused, which means I need to be well rested. I need to, you know, and do all of these things. So the last thing I needed was in the morning at the bus stop, trying to figure out, wait, which bus am I supposed to take? <laughs> which way is uptown? Which way is downtown? Yes. And it was so stressful. That one thing to not Mm. have somebody to be responsible for just making sure that I make it to set and I sit in the chair and somebody Mm. hands me whatever I need to eat or drink. And then my only job is just to think about what I need to accomplish visually Mm. for that film. Mm. Um, And so that was a lesson that I took away was that I will never again work on anything where I don't have transportation because it was so stressful mm. <laughs> and, and it was just, mm-hmm. it was brain power that I couldn't afford to use on the subway. I needed to actually think about my work <laughs> so, yes. and now I know, and yeah. now
2: I know, yeah. you know. Sure. So as you're both the writer and director of the film, uh, while writing the screenplay, did you already <laughs> have an idea of the cast Or did you find the cast after you had completed the screenplay?
1: In this case, um, well, in most cases, um, I find the cast after the screenplay. However, Hmm. oftentimes I will have an idea of the kind of person that I'm writing about. I mean, a lot of my scripts are about people in my family or, you know, personal Mm -hmm. people that I've met, people that I know Mm -hmm. who are not necessarily actors. So I'm not going to cast them, Mm -hmm. but I might have a face in my mind. I might, you know, substitute my uncle with, you know, fill in the blank act Denzel Washington and you know, obviously as an independent filmmaker, I'm not expecting to cast Denzel. But when I'm writing it, it's useful mm-hmm. to think about how would Denzel do this? How would he think about how what would he say? What would be the rhythm of his speech? what made it blah blah blah, blah blah. Mm-hmm. And I can write it that way. And then when I actually cast the role, then I work with the actor to make it something that they would do and that fits with their body and mm-hmm. this fits in their mouth and not just the imaginary mouth that I had, but it can also be useful to talk to the person, to the actor, if they're open. Sometimes it's useful, sometimes it isn't, but to just be like, you know, this is the person who I had in mind, you know, showing in this case, because Farewell amour was inspired by an aunt and an uncle. You know, I showed them pictures of my aunt and uncle's wedding, where I told them stories about their relationship and, you know, what happened. and a whole bunch of background that I had used when I was writing that was useful to me as I was crafting the story. I had musical playlists for each character Mm. that was useful for me Mm. to write their characters. Mm. And so I kept those playlists. And when I started after I casted the actors, I shared those playlists with them as like, this is music that I think Walter would listen to or Esther would listen to or, you know. Um, And that just ended up being research for them. Mm. Yes.
3: And uh, on the music, I think this is a great time uh, to ask this question. Uh Um, First of all, I just want to just uh, say that from the soundtrack of your film, I've received many great songs for Mm. my own personal playlist, right? So my question (laughs) being is, um, how did you pick the music? And what was the process of picking the music like? And also, what do you want to
1: um, What do you want to convey, and what What does music and dance mean in Farewell, Amour? Mm-hmm. The music and dance is actually very important for Farewell, Amour. Um, I mean, I have a background in music and in dance and in mm-hmm. sound, and so those elements for me as a creator are very important. It's kind of how I think and how I shape a lot of ideas. Yeah, um, but specifically for this story. Um, As I mentioned, it was inspired by a relationship of an aunt and uncle, which I fictionalized. Um, And at the time that I was working on the story or thinking about the story, I was doing a lot of dance and specifically a style of dance from Angola called Kizomba, which is the style that Walter dances to, and Mm -hmm. Kuduro, which is the style that um, Sylvia dances to. So, Kizomba and Semba, which is a very beautiful romantic couple's dance from Angola. And unlike other couples' dances like salsa or bachata or whatever it is, um, it's unique in the sense that it does not have a regular foot pattern to follow. Mm. So, salsa is no matter which way you're turning, it's one, two, three, four, one, two, you know, it's the same foot pattern. Yes. And you just go in different directions with Kizomba the person who's leading the dance is just reacting to the song and how they feel about the song and then the person following the leader is reacting to the leader and so they have to have a particular kind of connection in order to be able to dance together because otherwise because you don't know what to expect you can't anticipate mm. what they're going to do so you have to kind of really be present with each other yeah and i just thought that was a really interesting metaphor for a couple that had been that had been in sync, literally, and Mm -hmm. then fell out of sync because of distance and time and are now trying to find their steps together. But meanwhile, he he's in sync with somebody else. And that comes so naturally. And we see that Mm -hmm. how that changes his personality. And, you know, he just becomes a different person because it's so natural with that person. That's probably why he fell in love with her in the first place. But he's trying to find that with this old love. And then for Sylvia's music and dance, um, which is very sort of hip hop inspired or sounding, um, but kuduro is a it's a very important form of music in Angola that is you know obviously mostly young people listen to and make, but unlike you know, it's not just fluff music, like they talk about really important social issues about domestic violence, about, you know, lack of jobs, all these different things. And they have all these dance moves to go with it, because it's the one place where young people are able to have a voice in a, you know, in a society that doesn't always listen to young people. And so I thought that would be an interesting metaphor for this young African girl who doesn't feel like she has a voice in this family and she's she's struggling to express herself and she's able to do it through this music and this dance. And so therefore, we were very particular about the songs that we chose, um, you know, down to like getting people to translate all of the lyrics, you know, for every mm. song to make sure that it actually spoke to them. I mean, the majority of people who watch the film will not know exactly what they're saying. But you can sort of feel the vibe, and if you do happen to understand Portuguese yeah. and know what they're saying, then I want it to mean something. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. and not just be a song about soap and washing dishes or something like that. Um, so, so it was very important how we were able to sort of craft it together, and then have the composition to complement that in different places, um, mm. and and to use that music and culture as a way to, as sort of like another layer to the story and how the story was being told.
3: Yes, and it is uh, reflecting, and it is a, like like a, another layer, for me at least, that is an, mm-hmm. another layer on top of the story, which is great. Thank you. It's very great. Thank you. Yeah.
2: So, you know, talking about dancing, you see, dancing is an important element in the lives of all the three characters. Mm-hmm. So, for the, for the characters, what does the the meaning of dancing for each individual characters in their perception?
1: In their perception. I think, you know, for Walter, and this is something that I noticed when I was going to a lot of Kizomba dance clubs, is that people had their, most of the people who go to those clubs are just working class people. They're nurses, they're bus drivers, they're cab drivers, they're, you know, teachers, they just kind of do things where they're not necessarily hugely visible in their everyday life Mm. or important, you know, in their everyday life, quote unquote. Mm. But this is the one place where they get to become important. They get to dress up and put on some beautiful perfume or cologne and just kind of morph into Almost like a different person or their real person, you know, they get to mm-hmm. be themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think at the end of the day, for each of them, they get to be themselves, but it's sort of expressed in a different way. You know, for Walter, he gets to be himself amongst people who don't look at him as just a lowly cab driver, but he's a seducer and a lover and a yeah. you know, a mover <laughs> and all these different things. Yeah. <laughs> For Esther, yeah. she's able to be herself. That's where she's able to be vulnerable. That's, able to, that's where she's able to show her fears. That's where she's able to really speak to, I'm not sure that this is working. I'm not sure this is a good idea. I'm really confused. I'm really scared. You know, all of those things where in real life, she's sort of putting on this face of like, yes, Jesus will help. Yeah. Everything will be wonderful. Yeah. Don't worry about it, you know? Yeah. yeah. And, and similarly yeah. for Sylvia, I think that's the one place where, she too can show how angry or frustrated she is. She's, you know, meeting, she doesn't know these people really and she's kind of stuck in the middle and she doesn't have a choice Um, and she wants to be in America but she doesn't really want to be and she wants to meet her dad but she's not really sure she wants to meet her dad and, you know, all of the different emotions in between um, and she's able to express that through her
0: dance. Mm -hmm. And, you know, talking about family, while I was watching Farewell Amorit. For some weird reason, I kept going back to, so like, have you seen the this sh- uh, show called The Sopranos? Yes, I love The Sopranos. Yeah, so, you know, like uh, the, the show creators and showrunners have defined nuances and psychology of a family on screen under, um, highlighting another the genre of crime and the whole Italian mafia thing, right? Um, While mm-hmm. I was watching Farewell Amour, I, I kept thinking, Ki, is there any attempt... Uh, that with your film you try to define a family and their universal common traits throughout the whole globe and highlighting a, under a basic immigrant story was uh, sorry ask the question again is there a way that i tried to highlight a family ha, that did is this? there any attempt that you try to define you know universal traits of a family this is mm. how a family would be on any planet just under the banners of the, it being uh, an immigrant story
1: Um that's a great question. (laughs) I certainly didn't set out, you know, I didn't sit down at my desk and be like, today I'm gonna write a script about a family and try to Ah. find them. I didn't do that. Okay. However, what I ended up doing, and subconsciously perhaps, is challenge the idea of what is a family. Like, is a family, are you a family? Only if you live together hmm. and spend X percentage of the year living hmm. under the same roof or living in the same country or city, you know, and my story happens to be about immigrants, but there's people who are separated for all sorts of reasons for hmm. military service, for incarceration, they're in jail for, hmm. you know, I just work a lot and I travel for work. so Dad is back and forth, or mom is back and forth, or the kids are in boarding school, or whatever the case is. Mm -hmm. Does that make you any less of a family Mm -hmm. in that way? If you're not sharing your everyday, you know, because in this case, and certainly in the case of my aunt and uncle, they weren't together physically for many, many years, but they called each other every day. They. talk they skype they you know exchange letters they do all these different things so does that count does it not does you know and what does it look like and I think especially having grown up watching consuming you know majority of American media which has Mm. a very specific definition of a family it's three and a half kids a dog House, yes. everyone has their own room. There's yeah. a living room. This is how you're supposed to sit. There's a TV. You're supposed to watch a football game on a Sunday. Yeah. You're supposed to do this. You're supposed to do that. Barbecue yeah. on the weekends and breakfast. And it's breakfast. like, yes. who does that actually apply to? Because I don't know that exactly. most people live that kind of a life. So does that mean that we're not really a family? Or, you know, yes. so I guess it was sort of challenging that idea in the time that I wrote it. I was under the impression that I was just talking about my one little corner and the little two people that I knew. Mm. And it turns out that it was, you know, it resonated with so many people from across the world that I, you know, met like you Mm. (laughs) and watched the film and were like, oh my God, I can relate to that story. I know that story. My friend, my cousin, myself, my this, my, you know, in all sorts of different ways and iterations. And that was really surprising to me, the idea of, Oh, this is hmm. this is actually more normal than the picket fence and the dog scenarios. Yes, yeah. You know? So,
0: like, like while it. writing the film, it became a conscious choice to uh, question what's a definition of a family, right?
1: Possibly. I mean, I was really just focusing on the characters hmm. and and they're trying to answer for themselves what is a family right Mm -hmm. because that's been the goal all this Mm -hmm. time is like we're going to be together we're going to live as a family you know that's what esther says at the very beginning when they come in and he's like oh maybe you'll go to college and she's like no you know we have to live as a family as god intended it yes and it's not that easy (laughs)
2: living
1: under the same house under the same roof i'm sorry doesn't necessarily mean you're closer. They probably were farther away from each other than they had been when they lived on different continents, right? Because all of a sudden they're like, oh my God, I don't know who you are. I actually have no idea who this person is because the person that I knew was in a different context and that context no longer works here and the way that, we, you know, our rhythm doesn't work the same in this context. And so we have to, they have to redefine for themselves, Mm. but they're still reaching for this idea of like, but we're supposed to be like this, but we're, I can't have a girlfriend and a wife at the same time, I have to get rid of her. I can't, you know, I can't have Jesus or I can have Jesus and my husband at the same time. And turns out it's a little messy. And, you know, so they're having to figure out whether the idea of family that they've been reaching for and working towards all this time actually works in practical terms
3: mm. nice so uh, like there um what i what i've got from your answer and from the movie or the cinematography it implies that the the difference between alone and lonely it implies very much it is very resonant with me
1: Sorry, sorry, it, it broke up a little bit. Could you say that again?
3: Oh, I was just saying that um, the the movie like shows me the difference between um lonely and alone, and under the context Uh-oh. of that family, and yeah, it, you know, yeah. like g- greatly um present for me in the movie. It like it resonates mm-hmm. very
1: well,
3: and I can resonate you. that with the answer as well. So yes,
1: yeah, <laughs> thank you. I'm glad. I'm glad that you felt that. Are you a reader? Am I a reader?
2: Yeah.
1: Um, yes and no. I am a slow reader because of the way that I ingest the way that I ingest information, I have to visualize it in order to get it. And so when I read. I have to kind of pause and see it and then I'm like okay I get it which makes reading tedious and slow so I listen to a lot of audiobooks <laughs> mm-hmm. and oftentimes I have to read a lot of stuff for work um you know my agents are constantly throwing things at me so I have been reading more than I have in the past um but mostly via listening to audiobooks and podcasts so any
2: three books uh, you would recommend
1: that I would recommend. Yes. Ooh. Well, th- let me see. Okay, there's a book that I'm actually working on um, that I actually really enjoyed. The book is called Behold the Dreamers. Um, it's a book by Mbue, and um, it is similar to Farewell in the sense that it is a story of an African family that comes to New York um, and it's, it, it, it's written and it takes place during the housing crash of 2007, 2008. And so kind of looks at what that experience was like for an immigrant family. <laughs> you know, that, that it happens to be working for a white Wall Street family at that time. And, you know, sort of the juxtaposition between those two. Um, let's see, what else did I, I read, For the second time, um, Michelle Obama's book, Becoming, that I actually really, really enjoyed. Um, I don't know. It just kind of gave me a different perspective on her and and America, and American life at that time. And then another book that I really enjoyed, although it's not a fun read per se, but it it was very, it was fun in some ways. Like there was a lot that was enjoyable. All about it, but it was also, you know, very serious and heavy. Um, is a book by Tarana Burke. Tarana Burke is the woman who started the Me Too movement. Um, and it's essentially her biography, autobiography, I should say. Um, and she, oh, but then there's a fourth one. Okay. Her book is called Unbound. <laughs> yes. Unbound. And then you know, I, I, I read The Water Dancer uh, by Ta-Nehisi Coates. I love Ta-Nehisi Coates. He's one of my favorite. Um, and it's kind of dense at first. I actually tried to physically read the book that, and it was it was taking me a while. But I loved listening to it. Um, and it's a really he's a, he's a great writer. So those are my four. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes. It's always right. so great to hear from the guest. Like whenever we ask this question abruptly, ki, are you a reader? Uh, recommend us three books." Every guest is like f- at first fumbling. Ki, oh, what should I say? What should I say? There are too many books. But then they <laughs> say this three books which come to their mind immediately because yeah. it 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 kind of becomes important at that moment. I guess. Um mm. and yes. you know in yeah. that context, I want to ask you. Ki and uh, like there are some films that I watched early on in my life that you know has deeply influenced me so right now as I said when I check my footage I it, it might sound very superficial but I might find some traces of those filmmakers in that footage you know so does that happen to you or do you find ki, this filmmaker like because I've watched this film it has kind of influenced my writing style or my movie making style
1: mm. I'm sure it does um but I'm terrible with names. And so oftentimes I'll watch things and I'll completely forget the name of the film or the name or the name of the filmmaker, especially mm. stuff that I watched when I was in school. Mm. Um, but the visual will stay with me, right? Because mm. that's how my brain works. And so later somebody else will be like, you know, that shot was just like blah blah blah. And I'm like, great. <laughs> I was not aware I I probably stored that information somewhere but um, I mean there's been a few times that I've watched something and been like that would be really nice I'd love to be able to recreate that or I'd love to be able to figure out how to do that Mm -hmm. but I find that as I mentioned earlier I come from a sound background I actually went to school with the intent of being a sound designer um, and a sound person, um, because I just did a lot of music and sound growing up. Before I wanted to be a director. You know, I did a lot of writing that was easy, um, but I really loved sound. And at the time that I went to school where we were learning on celluloid tape, (laughs) Mm. making films was infinitely more complicated for one. Um, And the um, access to um, post-production houses, like being able to get into the business of film. So, you know, I wanted to be a sound designer. I wanted to be a Foley artist in particular. And I visited a Foley studio with my class and I just loved it. And I was like, oh my God, how do I work here? Like, wh- what, tell me, wh- how do I make this my career? And they were like, that's so great. So you would mop the floors for about 10 years. And then maybe at that point, you know, we'll let you, you know, mop the sound booth or something. And it was just like, wait, what? <laughs> like, I don't know if I'm getting paid for those 10 years either. Yeah. And there was only two sound, post-production sound houses in New York. And all post-production happens in New York so it's kind of like two post-production sound houses in the world or at least in my world and and it's maybe 10 years and maybe we'll consider you some. so obviously that didn't seem like a viable option right Mm. um (laughs) so anyways all of that to say I don't think in visuals first so therefore when I watch people's films I tend to get more um, involved in the characters and the arc of the character, and the development and the stakes, and how that worked out, you know, the writing um, and how the story is told in that way, and how the story unfolds, let me say. Um, and try and retain that. And then when it comes to the visuals, I really depend so much on my director of photography and just collaborate with them. And I'll say certain things about what it feels like or what I'd like. Maybe there's colors or there's some sort of music or movement that feels natural in that space and we'll create that together. Um, but I, my way of coming in is really more through sound and script than it is through the visual aspect of things. Mm. It doesn't mean I don't appreciate other people's work. Um, but that's just not how I think. Yeah. And um now I want to ask you,
3: you know, a very open-ended question, which is
2: okay.
3: half glass full or half glass empty?
2: I think
1: half-glass full. Yeah. So I like to think half-glass full. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah so
3: um, half gas full right
0: yes I'll go with that yeah sure you you know you talked about how it was uh, very hard making films back in the day. Uh, even in India, we uh, we hear people from in the industry. Uh, back in the day, it was so hard, and now it's so accessible to anyone. Anyone, everyone's making film these days, and it's true. Anyone can make a film these days with a uh, you know with a good phone, and mm. everyone has. Uh, everyone can manage sound and all that. So, do you think like is that a good thing or a bad thing?
1: I think it's a great thing that there's more access, um, especially for more people. I mean, for the longest time, cinema as we know it has been completely dominated by one group, you know, and one perspective. There's been one point of view. There's been, you know, when people talk about the greats of cinema they're usually referring to this one little group of people and five names at best or, you know, something like that. And so to be able to diversify that pool in any way, you know, more women, more people of color, more people with disabilities, just more people with a different way of looking at the world, I think is Mm -hmm. always wonderful. And we can only benefit from that. I mean, just think about how much you learn about the world. (laughs) true anybody or anything from just seeing anything how much how much better off would we be if we just were able to look at things from a different perspective in a lot of in a lot of situations um Mm. i think what's a challenge about it is and maybe maybe it's a challenge well let me put it like this i think it's a challenge that doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing Mm. but i think it is a challenge um the expectation of immediacy that comes with the increased accessibility. And what I mean is, when I went to film school, and you know, it was this expensive to get this, and then you had to do this, and then you had to do this, and you had to mop the floor Mm. for 10 years and blah, 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 blah. All of us knew, all right, this is going to be hard. And if you want to do this, then sell a kidney. I'm going to be living with my mother. I'm going to like, you just kind of come in with different expectations of what it's going to take to, to really perfect your craft so that, you know, and then every, and then it's like, you have to be very strategic about like, okay, I'm going to learn this one tool. I'm going to make this relationship so that I can get to here and then from there, I can move to this place and da, 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 you know to mm. and all of this time you're working on your craft, you're writing scripts, you're da, 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 you're doing all of that work. so you're practicing and you're getting better, which is only always a good thing. Mm. Um, filmmaking is apprenticeship work. It's not like you go to school. You study for four years, you get a certificate of filmmaking, and now hire me, I'm a filmmaker. You know, it's even if you graduate from the top school, as I did, you still need to practice because people are like, okay, that's nice that you graduated, but what have you made? And who do you mm-hmm. know? And who have you worked with? And do they like working with you? And mm-hmm. have they ever seen your work? And where has your work shown? and blah, 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 you know, so it's really, a, it's about the relationships and it's about the quality of your work and you have to keep practicing. And I think when you're able to boom, bam, 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 and in five minutes you have a completed film, it feels like you don't have to practice that much because you're like, Psh. first of all, it's on Instagram and I have a hundred likes, so what are you telling me? <laughs> yeah. But that doesn't necessarily make you better. You know it it doesn't challenge you in the same way to like really keep honing your craft because you can kind of slap on a filter and da da da, da, da and then you're done and or it feels a lot easier. Mm-hmm. And so what that does, it's not to say that everything needs to be hard it, that's not the point. What it does is that when things do get hard, which they always will, what I find with a lot of younger filmmakers, is that they get discouraged a lot more easily, a lot more easily because Mm. it's like, oh, I failed. I only got 50 likes this time. And so therefore I, you know, forget it. I'm going home, I should Mm. never do this again. And it's like, no, it just means that your ideas weren't clear and you just need to keep working at it. You need to do better or it's, you know I didn't become a millionaire overnight. I didn't break the box office. I didn't break the internet. So therefore it means that it's not worth anything. And it's like, well, The point isn't to break the internet I mean that's a nice uh, side benefit but the point is like to get better at the thing that you do Mm, to get better at telling a story or delivering a message and you can only do that by practicing and so that's the only downfall that I see with having much more accessibility and so fast it feels like Oh, I can skip all these steps and just be a celebrity at the end of the day. And there's mm. so much focus on being a celebrity and less on telling a good story. That's
0: all. And, and you know, talking about that, do you like because now you have had your directorial debut, you have made these shots and all this. Do you ever feel that now this this process has become tiring, or I don't get the kick that I used to get uh, when I was young, or something, or is it always interesting?
1: There's always something that can be interesting. I mean, there's things that are I don't love budgets. That's never been something that I'm like, we. I can't make. I can't wait to figure out <laughs> how to spend this money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or you know the distribution. Like there's things that I don't love. Um, mm. But you know you get to work with different people. You get to learn different skills all the time. You get to see other people doing amazing things that it's like, I don't know how to do that. I worked on a show recently um, and you know, the script was very, it was this one scene and it was kind of a fantasy and the description was just really vague. You know, like there's uh, something to do with water and reflection, something. And my DP, found some picture that was just a really beautiful picture and it'd be like wow it'd be great if we could I want to recreate that and I have no idea how to do that and so we had this you know the crew meeting and I was like I I I want this (laughs) I want this picture I want my actors looking like this and then I'll tell them what to do when we get there and they were like great and so the special effects guy and the this guy and the stunt guy and the all of these teams came together and just built this thing that was literally a picture on our cell phone. Mm. And next thing you know, we have the scene. And It was amazing to watch that, you know, and who does that? Like who goes to their job every day, you know, at blah, blah, blah company and is able to just make stuff out yeah. of nowhere or create, exactly. t- you know, outside was 2022. <laughs> last week and now it's 1800 something or other Mm -hmm. because the production department came in and changed everything and you know I mean it's we 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 work in such a we work with magic Um, so it's impossible not to be excited about that and sometimes scared and intimidated but Mm. it's exciting what we do
0: like there are always things that you can find beauty in right while making things Mm. it's it's right. magical it's wonderful yeah yeah
1: i read this book the other day speaking of books um <laughs> that i was considering um adapting to a film and it takes place in paris and i i've never been to paris and i know nothing about this world but it was fascinating and it was like i could live in paris for 3
0: months to yeah. adapt this <laughs> <laughs> yes
1: right. it's, it's beautiful
0: awesome. <laughs> the the job of making films is beautiful like it i i, it I cannot is. agree more but and yeah. this yeah. you know this has been a wonderful session this has been a wonderful conversation thank you aqua for joining yeah. us um it's, thank it's, you for having it's me. yeah uh, it was such a great it was such a beautiful thing for you to come yeah. here and talk with us thank yeah. you for yeah. inviting
1: yeah. me i really yeah. appreciate the invite yeah. and it it's it's been a pleasure for me as well so i uh, thank, yeah. thank, thank you thank you aqua um,
0: thank, thank, so you. thank, thank, thank you thank you so this was you podcast thank you